changes lives. If you're saved today, you know that's the case. Amen? Amen. I hope you do. Nobody seems very excited about that. If you're saved today, you know that's true. Amen. Okay, that's a little better. Yes, thank you. I think I caught you off guard. These guys came forward and you thought they were the show. And you forgot about what was going on. You forgot all about poor little me. Oh, that's right. Too bad. <laughs> All right, thanks, fellas. I appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, good. All right. Yeah, just throw it in there, brother. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, there you go. All right, they're getting it taken care of here. We're still dealing with uh, uh, great miscalculations, uh, mistakes and miscalculations. So go ahead, we can throw that up there. Are we not getting it tonight, guys? I, I, I thought I threw it in there. It's not coming up, huh? Oh, there it is. Oh, you're trying to find my spot, aren't you? Yeah, okay, thank you. I forgot to tell him that. It's way down there. This file's probably... How many pages are in that file right now, brother? About how many? Too many? 74, 75 pages in this PowerPoint, yeah. So anyway, we're coming along pretty good here. Okay, we're going to get that up there. <laughs> we're going to get that up there sooner or later. And uh, great miss... Calculations and mistakes, all right? That's our series. We've been dealing with this for a while and, of course, took a couple of weeks off here and there. But uh, we're right back to it. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so what we find, again, as we've mentioned a number of times already in our series, is that there are some things that have taken place in the past that God wants us to learn from today. He wants us to avoid the hurts and the heartaches of the past. He wants us to learn the easy way, not the hard way. And it, let's face it, experience is probably the best teacher. But boy, it's not the only teacher. 
and we can avoid some real pitfalls in our life and hard lessons if we'll just go back and review the past and understand what God's trying to teach us through these Old Testament saints. And so that's what we've been doing along the way, and even the New Testament saints, but we haven't gotten that far yet. So we're going to go ahead and move along. As we mentioned, we've talked about a number of different people along the way. And just to mention a couple, we talked about Moses. His mistake was that he let his anger get the best of him, and he miscalculated how far his anger would take him. And then we said Samson, he made a tremendous mistake. He had lost sight of the source of his power, which was God. His miscalculation, he'd go out as before. No problems. Do as he always done. Super strong man. Didn't happen. Israel made the mistake of asking not counsel at the mouth of the Lord and miscalculating the enemy's desire and ability to deceive. The enemy is always out there to deceive you. Satan is on the warpath. And he's going to seek to deceive. Never underestimate his desire to deceive you. Because uh, the fact is he can deceive us if we leave a back door, if we leave an open door. But he wants to deceive you. Don't think for a minute he's taking a day off. Okay, so be real careful with that. And then we found here Jephthah made the mistake of speaking before he thought, and it cost him greatly, didn't it? So we said, think before you speak. Rehoboam's mistake was that he did not respect the experience of the old men and he exhibited contempt for them and their counsel. And we saw that instead of heeding the counsel of the elderly or at least hearing them out and giving them a legitimate ear, he basically shut them out. He, he showed no respect to them whatsoever. He just disregarded it. He went right to his peers. And instead of even giving them the time of day, he basically said, you guys are a bunch of old men. You're living in the past. I want nothing to do with you. I've got my own buddies, my own friends, my own outlook, my own life. I don't need you. But I'll tell you what, that's a dangerous place to be. As we said, he didn't necessarily have to follow the leadership of those old men if they didn't have the right answers. But hold on a second. To neglect that wisdom and that experience, that's foolish. And so we learned some things there. Now we come to the next one. We're only going to cover one today, okay, because we have exactly three and a half minutes. But anyway... <clears throat> <clears throat> maybe a couple more than that. But anyway, take your Bible, if you would. Turn over, if you would, to Second Chronicles chapter 17. We're going to start in chapter 17 of Chronicles. We're going to learn a very important principle today, and uh, we're going to try to see, you know, what we can glean from the Bible. So Second Chronicles, that's before you get to Psalms. Second Chronicles chapter 17, okay? And again, I'm going to ask a couple people to give me a hand with some reading, <clears throat> just so we can... <clears throat> get through this, and I don't have to tear my voice up, and we'll all leave here happy today. <clears throat> His start. We want to look at Jehoshaphat's start today. And before we take that first read, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us to learn something today and to learn it with a good spirit. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the Word of God today. We thank you for the privilege it is to be able to come to your Word and glean from it and ultimately grow from it. Now, Father, we're going to discuss a, an issue. We're going to see a particular situation unfold before our eyes here today. Help us to glean from it, to learn from it. Father, not to uh, in any way, uh, you know, push back, uh, but, but Father, to yield. And Father, help us to apply what we learn and to take it to heart and really use it for your glory. Now, we need you, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> okay. So his start. Let's consider that. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 3 through 5. Who will read that for me? Right there. Yes, sir. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the first ways of his father David, and sought not unto Baal. But 
sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after his doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents and he had riches and honor in abundance. Amen. Let's go ahead and read verse 12 now. Who will read verse 12 for me in the back there? <clears throat> Okay, so first of all, we see his start, and his start was a pretty good start, wasn't it? Things were going pretty good for Jehoshaphat. And, and we, we notice in the particular passage that the Lord established him. The Lord put him in a, right, a good place, and he himself was yielded to the Lord. He was following after the commandments of God. He was doing the work of God. Um, and, and the Bible says the Lord established his kingdom. The Lord strengthened him. The Lord gave him a great foundation there. And uh, it even says they brought to Jehoshaphat presents. And he had riches and honor and abundance. Now, that's a pretty good start, isn't it? But then Brother Glenn started reading, and he read about the successes. Not only did he start right, but he had some real successes, in, in, so to speak, especially from the world's perspective. We see here again in verse 12 that, that he waxed great exceedingly. Man, I mean to tell you, his fame was growing, and and God was blessing him, and God was working in his life, and man, he had things going. I mean, it was happening for him, you know what I mean? So <clears throat> we notice that. We want to notice his strength now. Not only did he start well, not only did he have tremendous success, God-given success too. We're talking about success as we read about it in the book of Joshua, when it talks about not just success, but good success. Not just any success, but godly success, good success. And that's the kind that Jehoshaphat was having. And now let's notice strength. Who will read those? Now, again, this is quite a bit of reading. I'll tell you what, um, let's try to get somebody involved here. Let's see. I think I saw a hand over here somewhere. Okay, I'll tell you what. Go ahead, Brother Dean. Why don't you read? You're right in the middle. Lift it up loud. <clears throat> and he had much business in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And these are the numbers of them according to the house of their fathers. Of Judah, the captains of thousands, Adna, the chief, and with him mighty men of valor, three hundred thousand. And next to him was Jehonan, the captain <coughs> with him, two hundred and fourscore thousand. And next him was Amasai the son of Zechariah, who willingly offered himself unto the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor, and of Benjamin, Eliad, a mighty man of valor, and with him armed men with bow and shield, 200,000. And next him was Josabad, and with him an hundred and fourscore thousand ready, prepared for the war. These waited on the king, Beside those whom the king put in the fenced cities throughout all Judah. What we find here is that Jehoshaphat had 1,160,000 soldiers. Okay, his army was strong. And God had blessed him. Judah, Benjamin. Judah, 780,000. Benjamin, 380,000. These were men of war. And so not only did he have a great start, not only do we see God establishing him, not only do we see him succeeding in the things of God, good success. I mean, he's financially secure. He's got a strong kingdom. And now he's got a strong army behind him. 1,160,000 troops ready to take battle, ready to go to battle if necessary and needed. 
Man, I mean, things are moving well for this man, this king, Jehoshaphat. But now we know to slip up. Because we wouldn't be talking about him if everything went well, would we? So something goes wrong here. Something goes amiss. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Who will read that? Okay, over here in the corner. Yes, please. Now, I want you to notice something in the first verse. The Bible says, Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. <clears throat> that goes along with what we just said. Success, strength, great start. Okay, there it is. However, I want you to notice it says, And joined affinity with Ahab. Does anybody know who Ahab was? Does anybody know, does anybody know who he was? Can I see a hand here? It's like class. We can't everybody yelling out. All you, you know all the answers. I know that. In the back. He was married to Jezebel, and he was the king of what? Israel, that's correct. He was the king of Israel. Remember back there where when Solomon died, and you had Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and the, two, the kingdom split. Ten tribes went with uh, Jeroboam. The other two went with, uh, basically one and a half went with uh, uh, Rehoboam. And so what you have here now is you've got, you've got these two separate kingdoms. Although they were all one time Israel, now you have Judah. And you have Israel, ten tribes, two tribes. And Israel's the ten tribes, and we have over them Ahab, who's a very wicked, vile, wretched king. And you have Ahab, uh, we have Je- Jezebel, his wife, who is as wicked as they come as well. What a great pair they made for the devil and for sin and for, for ungodliness. But they didn't do a very good job leading a kingdom because they had nothing to do with the Lord God who created them or that allowed for them to rule and reign. So what we find here is a very wicked king. The Bible tells us here that Jehoshaphat, who loved God, served God, who followed the commandments of God, who was strengthened by God and established by God, ultimately enters into what's called an affinity with Ahab. So we have Judah, the king of Judah, a godly king and a godly nation, entering into an affinity or relationship with an ungodly king, an ungodly nation. The word affinity, it means the relation contracted by marriage between a husband and his wife's kindred and between a wife and her husband's kindred in contradiction, it's distinction from relation by blood. So they weren't, he's not, it's not talking about where you're born, in, born into a family. We're entering into family relationship. We're entering into a, a contractual type of relationship or some kind of relationship that is voluntary and entered into. Now, in this particular case, we can talk about, uh, with an affinity, we can talk about Solomon. We know that Solomon made an affinity with a number of nations, uh, and we know for sure with Pharaoh in 1 Kings chapter 3, when he married into the family, joining the two kingdoms together. Okay, that was a mistake, by the way. That was a big mistake, and it was something that he shouldn't have done. We know he shouldn't have multiplied wives, but he did. And so, nonetheless, we see that he entered into an affinity with Pharaoh and Egypt through a marriage. Now, in this case, with Jehoshaphat, we're also told in 1 Kings twenty-two forty-four, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. He made peace with the king of Israel. 
Again, this affinity was a big gamble, and he made the gamble, and unfortunately we're going to find that it did not work well. <clears throat> Jehoshaphat made the mistake of allowing, allowing Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, to marry his son, Jehoram. So he allowed them to enter into a relationship together, bringing the house of Jehoshaphat into an affinity with the house of Ahab bringing the nations together in a sense as a result of that relationship that was permitted by this godly king with an ungodly king and his offspring. I'm sure that Jehoshaphat thought somehow he could handle this relationship. I'm sure he didn't think or assume that it would ultimately provide great heartache and and harm to him and his people or to his own son and his future. But may I say, before it's all said and done, That is exactly what it produced. And so there was a marriage and ultimately an affinity and peace was brought between Jehoshaphat and Ahab, between (coughs) Judah and Israel. Got problems now. Here's the rest of the story. Ahab ultimately meets with Jehoshaphat. What's the problem? Well, Israel's concerned about an enemy. They're concerned that they're going to be defeated. They're concerned that they'll be overrun and overtaken. So what's he do? He calls Jehoshaphat and says, hey, can we meet? Can we get together? I want to discuss some things with you. And in the midst of that discussion, he begins to say, will you go to battle with me? And Jehoshaphat, man, I need to tell you, he says, sure, you and I, we're the same people. We are family. Now, again, one could look at that and say, okay, Judah, Israel, at one time they were one. And that's true. That's true. And so your people, my people, we're all one people. He's trying to bring it together. He's trying to make sure there's no bipartisan problems. He wants to make sure that everybody's happy and everybody's prospering. He's prospering and he's trying to be a blessing, so to speak. And so after this consultation, he begins to think it through. Ahab says, listen, I got 400 prophets. And those 400 prophets tell me, if we go to battle right now, it's a sure win. It's a big V, a victory, all the way. And he says, well, aren't there any other prophets around? I mean, I just want to know. I'm getting a funny feeling here that that the, the deck's stacked here. Is there any other prophet? Oh, yeah, there's a prophet, all right. Micaiah, or whatever his name is. I hardly pronounce that. Micaiah, I believe it is. And uh, that I-H-I, I guess. So Micaiah, he's contacted. Micaiah, oh man, this guy's a real prophet. I mean, he's the real deal. He doesn't pull any punches. He says it like it is. And so Ahab says, well, there's this one guy. His name's Micaiah. I don't like him a whole lot. And I don't think he likes me. Because every time I ask him to give me his opinion on what we ought to do, he always, he never tells me what I want to hear. He always disagrees with my prophets, and he always disagrees with what I want. He never does. He he never says what I want to hear. Isn't it sad? Uh, Isn't it sad when God's man becomes the enemy? And that's exactly what Micaiah was to him. He says, I hate Micaiah. And that's exactly what he said. The Bible tells us that. He hated Micaiah. Why? Because Micaiah wouldn't tell him what he wanted to hear. 
And it's sad when God's man becomes the enemy. Paul asked an interesting question in his epistle to the Galatians. He asked the Galatians, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I mean, Paul the Apostle was trying to give them the truth too in Galatia. And they, some of them got all bent out of shape and upset with him. Oh, you know, who do you think you are? And I thought you were supposed to love us. And I thought, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth, he says? Well, that's exactly what Micaiah could have said to Ahab. Have I become the enemy simply because I tell you the truth? You know what the answer would have been? Yes. And I want to tell you this, as much as I wish I could say that's not the case today in America or in the church, as a pastor for a number of years, I can tell you, I, I could not tell you that's not true without lying to you. There are some that make the man of God the enemy because he says, I will only tell you the truth. That's a sad reality of the life of, the life of some believers. And, and I feel sorry for them if that becomes the case. Because that's a road that leads nowhere good. Micaiah becomes Ahab's enemy again for one reason alone. Because he told him the truth. He speaks the truth. And you know where the truth landed him? In jail. Just because he told the truth. Sadly, Jehoshaphat still supports. He still joins affinity or joins in a relationship. Joins in the battle with Ahab. They go to war. And the battle's a bust. Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat barely escapes with his own life. But he ends up safe back in Judah. Ahab, on the other hand, dies. Ahab dies. I didn't see anybody crying. I guarantee you the people of Israel would have been uh, fortunate if they could have got a different king. But unfortunately, they got just as wicked of a king through the son of Ahab. But nonetheless... So, nonetheless here, we have the battle. And uh, although Ahab dies, Jehoshaphat does indeed escape. God enables him to escape. And he returns to Judah. He's confronted by a prophet, a prophet by the name of Jehu. Jehu says, and I want you to understand this. Watch the question that Jehu asks. Jehu the prophet now, in Judah, asked the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, a question concerning his affinity, his relationship to Ahab, the wicked king. 2 Chronicles 19, 1-2. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, seer was a word they used for prophet, man of God in those days in the Old Testament. No big deal. It's not some new thing, but it was just a term they used. They called them the seer because they could see the future. They could prophesy. So, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? That's a good question. Now let me ask you, what do you believe the answer to that particular question is? Somebody tell me what you think the answer is? Would anybody dare to step out? and? It's not a trick question. Shouldest thou... Help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord. Should you do that? Anybody? Anybody got the guts to tell me out loud? Yeah. No? no? Anybody else? Anybody else have an answer for that? Yeah. yeah. No, really? Okay, we've got kind of a general consensus going here. Anybody else? Anybody else? No? How many of you believe? Let's up raise hand. Okay, let, let's do this. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? 
What do you think the answer is going to be? How many of you say the answer should be no? And that's what it's going to be. How many think that? How many think it's going to be yes? Okay, let's hold on and see now. Watch this now. Watch this. And this is very important because I'm telling you, there's more people in this room, more Christians today in America, that are going to come up with the wrong answer than you'd imagine because of the way our culture is run today. Watch this. Know God's answer. You say, what's his answer? Now, before we go on, I want you, I want, I want you to see the answer. It says, therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. So the question was, shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that, love the, that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. He says, Jehoshaphat, let me ask you a question. Here it is. Bam. Now, therefore, because you do and did help the ungodly. He did, didn't he? He went to battle with the ungodly. He, he loved the ungodly enough to never seek the Lord's will in this thing. He didn't seek God's face. He didn't ask God if he should go to battle. He, matter of fact, he disregarded God. He knew Micaiah was God's man, or he would have never asked. See, I got to believe that Jehoshaphat would have just said, hey, the 400 prophets say we should go up. We got guaranteed victory. Let's go, buddy. Let's do it if he'd have really thought God was in it. But he knew something was up. He knew something was wrong. And he says, is there not another prophet? Isn't there somebody else here that can give us their opinion, their insight, their understanding, maybe share some wisdom from above? Oh, yeah, Micaiah, he's a dirty dog. I hate his guts, but let's hear what he has to say anyway. And Micaiah comes up, and it's funny what Micaiah does. First he says, oh, yes, go right on up. You'll have victory. And the king says, come on now, tell me the truth. He knew, and he goes, well, let me tell you the truth. You're not going to go through this. It's going to be bad news. What did Jehoshaphat do? He disregarded what he knew was God's word. Let me tell you something. He loved Ahab. He loved his relationship with the wicked. And he loved, he, and, he, and he supported and helped the ungodly. The answer to him, the response from God was simply, therefore is wrath upon thee before the Lord. So you know what? Big mistake. Big mistake here. Bad mistake. You say, I'm supposed to love the ungodly. Uh, yeah, but you're not to enter into an affinity with them. There's a big difference here now. See, this is where the rubber meets the road now. This is where we as believers have to kind of come to this balance in the Christian life. Am I to love a sinner? Absolutely. We love all sinners. Jesus loved sinners. But Jesus didn't become a sinner to love sinners. Didn't, did, Jesus didn't do what sinners do to somehow win their love and their admiration, and their, their, their love, their gratitude. No, Jesus Christ was always perfect and sinless. Jesus Christ reached out to the lost. Jesus Christ sought the ungodly. He, he wanted them to repent of their sin, not partake of it. And in this particular case, Jehoshaphat is guilty of helping the ungodly to do the ungodly. You know how bad that would be? It would be like you taking a bottle of alcohol, a bottle of rum or gin or... I know a lot about this, don't I? But anyway, taking a bottle of something like that, liquor of some sort, and giving it to somebody and say, Here, Merry Christmas. 
Get drunk and have a good time. Why would you help the ungodly sin? Why would you do that? Why would you? That doesn't make sense, does it? Now, we would all go, that doesn't make sense. But we may have done that in some respects at some time in our life. We all, shouldest thou help the ungodly? Absolutely not. Not to sin against God. Should we help them get to Jesus? Without a doubt. But that's not the context of the passage. The context of the passage is, let's go to war together. Let's come into affiliation. Let's come into a communion. Let's have a relationship together, one with the other. Let's have a partnership. It would seem that Jehoshaphat ultimately repented of his ways. Because after he gets this word from Jehu, all of a sudden, we don't really read much about him functioning or working. I mean, Ahab's dead now, right? So things kind of slowed down in that area. It seems like now he's kind of back on track. He's doing his thing. He's, God's blessing him again. We see some positive things from Jehoshaphat and his kingdom. The Bible, however, goes on to say that after a tremendous victory against the Moabites and the Ammonites, that he kind of slips back into his old ways. Bad habits are like a comfortable bed, easy to get into, but hard to get out of. They're like a comfortable bed, easy to get into, but hard to get out of. I love my bed, and sometimes it's hard to get out of it. I, there was a long time I didn't have a real good bed. I had one of those beds, you know, them pillow top beds, and for a couple of years we tried those pillow tops, and I'd always, I'd lay in it, and it seemed like it just kind of like formed in my body right there and i mean to tell you it's kind of like you roll in and go you have to kind of roll out you know it's almost like a suction cup i didn't like that now i got this bed slot more firm it doesn't have a pillow top you you can like your pillow tops that's great if it's comfortable for you praise the lord but for me it didn't work as for me in my house we serve the lord and so I got this bed that I love. It's comfortable. I get in. I, I went home last night. I couldn't wait to get in bed. It was about 536. And uh, I couldn't wait. It was just looking so good. And uh, it's, that's what bad habits are like. They're like a comfortable bed, easy to get into, but hard to get out of. And the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 35 through 37, And after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself, watch this, here it is again, with Ahaziah, king of Israel. Ahab had died now. Ahaziah is now in charge. And guess what? He's joining himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself to him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. How'd I do, Dean? A little flare there, wasn't there? Then Eleazar, the son of Dodavan, of Marishah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, here it is again now, the prophet, because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy words, works. And the ships were broken, and they were not able to go to Tarshish. So God wrecked and ruined the ships, 
so that he couldn't prosper from the affinity or the relationship that he had with this wicked king again. He had slipped right back into his old ways. Ultimately, 2 Chronicles 21 tells us, and Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers. The next verse after that. So ultimately, he goes home to be with the Lord. And he did. There's so many good things that the Lord says about Jehoshaphat. But one of the big mistakes that he made in his life was his affinity with the wicked. His relationship to the wicked. And let me tell you, we've got to be careful with that in our lives. So awfully careful. Again, whether it's in marriage or in business, it doesn't matter. Because in Jehoshaphat's case, it was both. And in each case, God condemned it. It's important that we understand that <clears throat> shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? No. Therefore, he said, is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. We're in a battle today. We're in a warfare today. And the assets that God has placed into your hands, whether they be your intelligence, whether they be your health, whether it be your abilities, it doesn't matter, whether it be your spirituality, whatever's been placed in your hand, those are not to be shared with the enemy who's going to use them to advance their evil cause. This is not, that's, it doesn't, I, listen, I get a little weary of listening to all these pop stars talk about how oh, I, I used to sing for Jesus. I used to sing in the choir. I used to sing for, I used to do this and I used to do that. We went to a little Baptist church back in the holler and none I'm there. And then now I'm singing pop music, making millions and billions of dollars. And that little church is still stuck in a holler, doesn't have any new pews, doesn't have any nice carpet. And you're still singing for the world. That bothers me a little bit. So you take the talent that God gave you to use for His glory and you use it to help the ungodly. Is that what we do? I've heard it. I've seen it. There's men, men that have talents and women that have abilities and if we're not careful, we're using them to aid, to help, to advance the world. And if we love the world, the Bible tells us if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in us let alone help them, aid them, encourage it, prosper it, expand it. Got to be careful here. To love those that, who hate or oppose the Lord and His efforts is not only ill-advised, but it's costly. Now wait, remember, what is an affinity? Be very careful. Don't put words in my mouth. An affinity is a result of entering into a marriage. It is not blood. Remember, we already said that. God made the use of the word affinity because he wanted us to understand that the family you're born with is who you're born with and you need to love them and be there for them and meet their needs. But let me tell you something. You are not to enter into a relationship or an affinity with somebody that's wicked and ungodly. You are voluntarily entering into a relationship to aid, to help, to love that which hates the God you say loves you died for you, saved you, and now meets your every need. That's wrong. You be real careful with that. The Bible makes it clear it was wrong. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. God's design and desire for the church. We're almost done. We really are. Second Chronicles. Who will read that right up front here for me? Who will read that for me? Okay? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Will you do that?
are the temple of the living God. As hath God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Jesus Christ, when he went into the world, obviously he came from heaven. They said, some of the Pharisees said, oh, look at him. He's, a, he's, he's sitting in there with a bunch of sinners, and, and he's, he's in there with a bunch of drunkards, and he's, he's involved with... Jesus never partook of their sin. Jesus reached out to people who were in need of him. He loved people because God loves people. He loves people. He's God. We're to love people. This has nothing to do with going around going, you're wicked and you're a sinner and nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with that. If that's what you think, you are desperately wrong. If anything, you ought to love people, be kind to people and considerate of people everywhere, everywhere in any situation. However, to sit there and say, well, you're a, that guy, I know in my heart he's, he's sinful. I know that there's, there's habits that he has that go contrary to the word of God. But I'm going to enter into a friendship with him. Oh, by the way, let me ask you, do friends ever influence us? They always do. If you let people get close to you, they're going to have influence in your life. God's trying to help you avoid hurt and heartache. He doesn't want people that are opposed to Him or not following after Him or not separated unto Him leading you their direction. And by the way, biblically and scripturally, it's always the wicked or the unclean that contaminates the clean. The Bible teaches us that when something that's unclean, you touch anything that's unclean, the Bible says. And I don't have the verse off the top of my head. I used it in my Sunday school just this past week. But if I touch anything that's unclean... What? No. Right there. That's a little better right there. Anything that's unclean. If he's unclean, I touch it in a sense. It's unclean. According to the Old Testament... What happens? Does he become clean because of my cleanness? Or do I become unclean because of his uncleanness? The Bible teaches that I become unclean because of his uncleanness. That's how it always works. And may I say that's the principle when it comes to separation. That's why, teenagers, God says that you're to come out from among them and be severed. That's why you don't marry unsaved people. That's why you don't marry people that aren't of like faith. Not just claim to be saved, but live the life that you're living for Jesus. That, that's why we don't enter into fellowship financially with people who are unsaved, who do not have the same moral code, values, and Christ-likeness that we seek to pursue. You don't do that. You don't, you don't do that because ultimately it's an affinity. Ultimately, it brings corruption. Ultimately, it will cause problems for you and your relationship with the Lord. We throw that out the window today, let's be honest. As a whole, because listen, it's not... You don't have a right to judge me. And everybody, just because we don't do things the way you do, doesn't mean we're a bad person. And we go, you're right. Wait a second. All I want to know is this. Was Ahab, should he have entered into that affinity or that relationship? Excuse me, Jehoshaphat, should he have entered into that relationship with Ahab? Not according to the Bible, he shouldn't have. Do you know what that means? 
that he probably knew Ahab wasn't a good guy. He knew Ahab was kind of wicked. He knew Ahab didn't believe the way he believed. He knew Ahab didn't have his standards, wasn't separated like he was separated, didn't have his faith like his faith was set up, and he still did it anyway. That's called rebellion. And as a result of that, it cost him. It cost his son his future, and it cost him his kingdom ultimately. I'm just saying you need to be very careful with this. I don't care what anybody says. If I know somebody's a drunkard, you don't have to, I don't have to dig into their life. I can see evidence of it everywhere around them. And I don't need to be in an affinity with somebody that's got a, 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 a dependency on alcohol. I don't need to be hanging around somebody that likes to attend and go to bars. I don't need to do that because where will I probably end up before it's over with? I'll probably end up in a bar. I'll probably end up drinking drinks. I'll probably think that social drinking's fine all of a sudden, even though in the past I thought it was dead wrong. I'll find myself being sympathetic to the sinner that I draw myself in affinity to. And I'll say, they're still good people. They're still nice folk. They might be good people. And they might be nice folk. But they're not godly. And they're not going where God wants you. Because that's where God wants you. Separated unto Him. Living and serving Him. Being not touching the unclean. Because if you do, it'll corrupt you. What should our heart be? Here it is. The psalmist says it in 119 verse 63. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. I'm a companion of them. All them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. <clears throat> Young people, you want, you want a, a, a recipe for success in your friendships? Make sure that they fear the Lord and keep his precepts. Those are the friends you want. Those are adults. You want real friends? The kind that can heighten your Christianity, cause you to be more faithful to God, a better soul winner, then only have a companionship or friendships with those that fear God and them that keep His precepts. Say, how radical should I be about that? About as radical as God is. That's, that's how radical we ought to be. There it is. Jehoshaphat's great mistake was joining with the wicked. And listen, be careful with putting your little personal idea of what wicked means. Guess what? There's a good, right there, do they fear God? Do they keep His commandments? That's a good start right there. You know what God's Word says. You probably have a good idea of what we shouldn't do as believers versus what we should do. And so, use the wisdom and the insight that God gives you I think it's important you understand something. Your friends should never choose you. You should always choose them. See, what do you mean? Don't ever let somebody else tell you they're going to be your friend in a sense. See, there's some people I don't need to be my friend. I choose who my friends are. Now, I'll be a friend to everybody, but I only let certain people be a friend to me. You understand what I'm saying to you? That's a very important truth. Jehoshaphat allowed Ahab to say, Come on, buddy. Come on down here. Let's be friends. And he went, Well, I did let, you, I did let your daughter marry my son. I guess so. Okay. Uh-uh. He didn't need Ahab as a friend. God has already made him successful. God had already given him a great start. God had already enabled him to prosper and have great strength. He didn't need Ahab. He didn't need what he had to offer. He just simply needed the God he served. 
In the end, all that Ahab did was hurt and harm him and his kingdom. The next king, the next king was a wicked king, by the way. And don't think for a minute that that compromise of Jehoshaphat didn't play a factor in the downfall of the nation of Judah. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, for your leadership and your love. Thank you again, Father, for just the simplicity of the Word of God. Lord, there's nothing...